Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. How would you know if you were at sort of a, a hinge point in history, like you, you think about the people who were around when the, when the Gutenberg press came out in the 1400s, and do you think they were like, wow, this is a, this is a game changer. We are, we are living in exciting times. I, I don't think so. Gutenberg was sued and he died penniless and the church hated him. And, and only with a rear view of, of, of history can we say in retrospect that That was a hinge moment in history that was, you know, like a few decades later, Martin Luther nails a treatise to the Wittenberg door. I don't think he knew that he was creating a reformation. And uh, I don't know if people in the Enlightenment were like, you know, this is really quite an age of Enlightenment we're in. Um, I don't think so. Like, heck, even in 2007, uh, I don't know if people could have known what a big deal that year was. It was the year that you carried around a powerful computer in your pocket called an iPhone. And it was the year that Facebook and Twitter went global and things like a Kindle and Android were introduced. And Google bought a little upstart company called YouTube. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, this company, Netflix, started streaming videos instead of mailing DVDs. Uh, internet users surpassed a billion mark worldwide. IBM created an artificial intelligence system called Watson. Um, folks, I'm not like a futurist. I'm not a prophet. Though, in all seriousness, I would actually like to close today by opening up... Um, two open mics to those maybe who have a a prophetic word, an encouraging word, a discerning gift. But I am am absolutely convinced that we are at a hinge moment in history, Uh, an era when people will look back and say, this time, you know, maybe not exactly 2003, but this, this block of time from 2020 to... 2025, I don't know, was the beginning of a new epoch, uh, a a distinctive period that historians will point to. I don't know, am am I alone? Does anyone else feel like we are living in those times? Yay, just the smart people in the room. Okay, good. And and by the way, look, this is not, (laughs) this is not a call to stock up on canned foods and ammunition, okay? (laughs) There are pastors and YouTube prophets who have made a whole cottage industry out of striking fear into the hearts of Christians. When I believe one of the great gifts we can give to the world as Christ followers is is to be a people of, of peace. 
to be a people without fear, to be a people who live a non-anxious presence in the world because we know that Jesus sits on the throne. We know that Jesus wins. Um, But you don't have to be Nostradamus to sort of recognize that things are about to become very different in our culture, vastly different in our church, disruptive, I think, for those who are followers of Christ. And in the short term, at least, um, it's not always going to feel good. It, it's, it's not going to feel comfortable or maybe even safe. Uh, it certainly is not going to feel like it used to. And uh, I believe there's a silver lining in this story, but yeah, there, there are clouds on the horizon. So, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been trying to discern where our focus should be as a church, what kind of teaching, what kind of emphasis would be most helpful. And I, I keep coming back to these words and verses and themes, and I realize they're all kind of related to each other. Uh, they were all connected with this sort of overarching theme, and I believe it speaks to where we are in this cultural moment. And, and today, I just I kind of want to give you a heads up, a, a roadmap of where we are going this fall, this year, and how, how it all seems to circle around this one big idea. And so today is not kind of your typical, I don't know, three-point sermon. It, it, it's more of like a peek into my diary, uh, into my heart and thoughts and uh, sussing out the moment that we find ourselves in. And maybe it gives you fair warning that if you don't agree with my hypothesis, if, 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 if you don't think it applies to you or your family, um, if you think this may not be the right church for you going forward, no one can say you haven't been warned. Um, but this will indeed be kind of our focus for at least half a year, uh, maybe, maybe more. So are you ready? Okay. Here are the words and phrases uh, that keep coming to my mind over the summer and, and even before that. Remnant. Strangers in a strange land. Aliens, exiles, be in the world, but not of the world. A chosen generation, a called out people, sojourners and pilgrims, citizens of a different kingdom. You get in the thread here? At no other time in in generations, I believe, have we as Christ followers had to Readapt as much as we have to living as a minority culture in a majority culture that is either ambivalent, uninterested, unaware, sometimes outright hostile towards a godly way of life. Now, I want to be really clear on this. In fact, I'm going to keep circling back to this again and again so that I'm not misunderstood. Because I bet some of y'all right now are excited. Yeah, come on, pastor. Like, 
it's about time we get into this culture war and it's about time people realized how oppressed we are. And like, they won't even say Merry Christmas at Starbucks anymore. Can you believe that? Um, what we need to do is take over the levers of government and no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. And if you are looking to have a theology of, of petty grievances affirmed, you're gonna be super disappointed. When I talk about a remnant or exiles, by the way, if you were here a few weeks ago and you heard Rocky speak on living as exiles on a Sunday that I was away, you know, afterwards he heard sort of where we were going thematically into the fall and he was worried that he'd stepped on toes or spoiled something and not at all. Like I actually saw this as such a confirmation of what God had independently put on our hearts. And as Rocky said, the idea of exiles is something that happens consistently throughout the story of God's people. Um, and yet we, we find ourselves surprised when we end up in that predicament, and, and we shouldn't. And in the same way, the word and the concept of remnant is found throughout Scripture. It's found in, in the Old Testament Hebrew. It's found in the, in the reaffirmed in the New Testament Greek. What is a, a remnant? According to the Bible dictionary, a remnant is what is left of a community, often after it undergoes a catastrophe, um, or it is, it is that which remains of an original body. Like you, you might say Noah and his family are like the original remnant, the only, the only people on earth uh, living for God in a world gone mad, in a world that was just dark and hedonistic and vile. And God preserved them, a remnant. Talk about a minority. Uh, in Genesis 45, Joseph says that God sent him to preserve a remnant on earth. Uh, God's people. In, in 1 Kings 19, in the days of Elijah and this wicked Jezebel, God uh, preserves only 7,000 of his people. Uh, they were the only 7,000 who would not kneel a knee to a false god. Uh, in the days of Isaiah and King Hezekiah, when armies were surrounding, it says that God preserved a remnant of his people. Um, Rocky alluded to this, Jeremiah 43, the people begged Jeremiah to pray to God that he would preserve a remnant on the verge of a cultural genocide. Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Ezekiel, talk about maintaining or stirring up the spirit of a remnant among God's people. And even in, in the New Testament, if you think about it, Luke 2, you could say that Simeon and Anna were part of that minority, that remnant that we talked about last Christmas, you know, where God rewarded these devout men and women by allowing them to see the birth of the Messiah. And, uh, and then the ministry of Jesus, after the ministry of Jesus, there's this idea talked about in Revelation in 1 Peter. 1 Peter says that we, you, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, two verses later, I like how the message says it, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. 
I, I, that just might sum up exquisitely what this whole year is about. Knack, don't get too cozy here. This world is not your home. But that verse in isolation might tempt you to completely separate from a world that is getting increasingly immoral and hostile. And I understand that. Um, But if that's your philosophy of isolating, separating, I'll say this as lovingly as as I know how, this might not be the right church for you whose working philosophy is not just to gather, not just to come to a church, but actually to go into the world and be the church, act like the church, embody hope and love and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So if you would rather isolate, I, I know some other churches I could point you to. I, there's some good Amish communities, some uh, farms in St. Jacob's that, um, but I don't believe that's what we're called to. I don't believe that's what being a remnant means. We are not just called to be in the world, or sorry, we are called to be in the world, not of the world. And, and those two little words make all the difference. So let me just, uh-oh, is Professor Ganyu here going to... Uh, he drop stuff? Yes, he is. Let's, let's say for, um, for simplicity's sake that this, this is the, the world, or maybe more specifically, let's say it's, it's Canada, okay? This represents all of us. And, um, and, you know, our calling goes back to Abraham, really, that, that we would be a blessing to the world. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to each other. But as I've said, many of these folks are unaware, um, ambivalent, unreached, downright hostile sometimes. Well, thank goodness, according to the latest census, um, 51% of this group claim to be Christian in Canada. Are you, buy, are you buying that? No, no I, didn't, I didn't really either. Um, you, know, you know, you can identify as a Christian and it, it don't make it so, right? You, you know that? You can identify as a motorcycle or a kitty cat, right? Like it, it doesn't make it so, okay. So I dug a little, a little deeper and uh, it turns out the number of, of Canadians who attend any kind of religious service, uh, Bible study, gathering, even just once a month, is, is 20%. Um, does, does going to church make you a Christian? As much as going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? Okay. So um, I dug a little deeper. Now we're really getting to the crux of it. Um, 8% is uh, apparently what people who would just believe in the, the fundamental 
truths of the, of the Christian faith. Um, Jesus is the one way to salvation. Um, there is a heaven and hell. Um, uh, Jesus died and rose again and performed, performed miracles. 8%. If we're generous, we might call that a remnant. A remnant. And I wonder, though, if there is yet to be a, a sifting still. Um, if the kind of freedom and wealth and privilege, the kind of access to all the churches and Christian curriculum that we have in Canada has produced this, 8%, what happens when the seemingly inevitable loss of those rights and privileges and, and the relative ease of our life disappears. Like, will we curse God? Uh, will we join with the, my, the majority? Uh, this is such a small example. I almost hesitate to bring it up, but after, after relatively easily qualifying for summer student grants in, in years past, uh, you know, for students to run kids' camps and work at the church. We, we were denied this last year. And listen, I don't think uh, we have some inherent right to that grant money, okay? And so don't hear me wrong. But it struck me as curious. And then we started hearing about all the other churches who had been approved in years past but who were denied. And then we started hearing about all the national parachurch ministries, Young Life and Youth for Christ, who were either outright denied or, or scaled back to like 5% of what they had originally asked. It's, it's curious, right? And, oh, oh, I'm starting to stir up your grievance. Uh, that's not my goal. In fact, Christian, it's, it's maybe time that we change our mindset to expect this, to expect... Um, to be the minority, to be persecuted. Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of me, you, you need to expect this. And I expect even in my lifetime, uh, probably in the course of my ministry at NAC, we will lose our charitable status. Uh, you will lose your ability to claim donations to a church, any church. And won't that really separate the remnant from the majority, you know? And again, I don't bring this up to fire up your martyrdom or woe is me. I am just saying the quiet part out loud that these are the times that we live in. Um, anybody ever ever read the Lord of the Rings? Where are my nerds at? Yeah. Um, I don't think this line made the movies, but listen to this passage from, from this 70-year-old book. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. It, it takes on even more resonance when you think of J.R. Tolkien, uh, fought in the trenches of World War I, lived through the, the bombing of London in World War II. You know, what was so-called normal for that generation. And so our calling is not to 
relive or recreate or get back to that nostalgic time when, when Christianity had a bigger influence and morality seemed more clearly defined and all the shops were closed on Sunday for the Sabbath, right? No, the question is, what is the role for you to play, for us to play, for Knack to play in this new cultural moment that we find ourselves in? And so this fall and this year, thematically speaking, is us figuring out what it means to faithfully play the role that God has called us to for this time as a remnant, especially in this area, era that will continue to um, be filled with disruption. Uh, not just pandemics, uh, not just rising interest rates and, and geopolitical war and instability. We are also, I believe, in some disruptive changes to our climate. It will change our human experience. Um, gender and sexual categories are in disruption. So, so not just the earth, but our sense of self is in disruption. Uh, we are an aging society in the midst of a global population decline. Maybe it doesn't feel like that when you're on the 401 stuck in rush hour traffic, but it's becoming worrying to the experts who track this sort of thing and are looking ahead 20 and 30 years. And I haven't even ranted yet about AI I mean, Ch chat GPT is just the first pitch of the first inning of something very disruptive. Or what about the deconstructing and de-churching that is going on, people leaving the faith in record numbers? So as a Christian asking, what is my role? What is my calling in this era? And maybe it at, at least, at very least, begins with this discerning the times. Um, First Chronicles 12 talks about the leaders of the tribe of Issachar. And they were special in that they understood the times and the best course of action for Israel to take. We need to understand the times that we're living in. We need men and women of Issachar this morning. And people who are asking, what are the ways in which you know, our fallenness is most evident in 2023? What are the ways in which darkness is manifesting itself? How can I be hope and light in this darkness? You know, the church doesn't have the calling, I believe, or even the competency maybe, to take over the levers of government. Um, that's not our calling. We are not in the business of coercing anyone into beliefs. History has shown it doesn't work out anyways, not, not in the long term. Like whenever the church gets in bed with empire, with government, like it ends bad. Uh, it's an experiment that has repeated itself throughout history. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Caesar, authoritarians who conflate their rule with spiritual authority, who say, you know, if you're against me, you're against God himself. And that's that's not the kingdom of God. Don't mishear me. Like, I think we need Christian MPs and Christian mayors and Christians in every aspect of public service. But we don't conflate the two callings. Like, we are part of a better 
empire, a better kingdom, one that is not of this world. Folks, government cannot save us. Jesus can. And it's discouraging sometimes when we see that conflation going on. You know, Russell Moore, he's the editor of uh, Christianity Today, and he shared uh, about what, what he is seeing in the last couple of years. Many pastors lately who get up to preach and maybe even just parenthetically say something like, love your enemies, uh, turn the other cheek. And afterwards, someone will come up to them and say, why are you giving those liberal talking points? And the pastor will say, um, you know I'm just directly quoting Jesus Christ, right? And their response is not, oh, my bad, I guess I should uh, study more on scripture. The response is, yeah, that was fine then. Um, that was fine in that neutral culture, but that doesn't work anymore, you know? That doesn't work in our hostile culture. And you step back and you think, do you think Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount in Mayberry? <laughs> like, this is in the context of a Roman empire, armed to the teeth, taking out dissidents all over the place, not to mention it's a really hedonistic, sexually degenerate culture as well. You know that didn't start in the 1960s, right? And, and I'm pretty sure Jesus was crucified because he wasn't living in a neutral culture. Um, but there's this mentality today, oh, the stakes are too high to actually act like a Christian, uh, to take Jesus seriously in 2023. It's like, you know, after we win the culture war, then we'll resume Christianity. We'll, we'll, we'll resume taking Jesus at his word, but now's not the time. That is not a Christian argument. I would argue that's a, a, an anti-Christian argument. And you understand that being a remnant or set apart means we, will, we were actually are not part of the majority culture. It's supposed to be a little harder. There will be friction. There will be persecution. We're outside of the mainstream of values. And there is... Um, going to be a price to be a Christ follower these days. So the idea that religion will be convenient to your politics, you know, almost borders on heresy. And here's one of the many ways that it plays out. There is a vibe these days among some Christians that, well, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So every now and then you'll hear a Christian who is like defending someone like um, Andrew Tate. If you don't know who that is, he's sort of internet famous, uh, social media influencer. Also a renowned human trafficker, uh, misogynist, sexual deviant. That's Andrew Tate. Yeah, but he hates the same people I hate, so that's good. Oh, Christian, here's my abridged understanding of what a remnant should look like what it's characterized by according to the Bible. According to Zephaniah 3.13, they are a people of unshakable integrity. Would we be known as a people of unshakable integrity? We see in Ezekiel that a remnant are a watchful people. God told Ezekiel twice that he, he has to be a watchman for his people. 
The remnant will be those who are, who are paying attention to what is going on. They won't fall prey to what the, what the world claims to be good, that what God says is evil. Uh, is a remnant a group that just applies to Israel? I, I, you know, sometimes depending on the Old Testament context, yes, but when Romans 9.27 quotes Isaiah um, in this New Testament context, it is setting forth a doctrine that the remnant is really uh, about um, applying it to the human race as well as to the church. Jesus uses different words, but it's the same concept. He calls it a narrow gate, right? Where, where few will enter. Wide is the path. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. So a remnant are also the quickest people to repent. We are, we are, are called to keep short accounts with God. We are the, the first people to recognize sin in our life, the first to receive the grace and forgiveness of God and make a turnaround. Um, a remnant is faithful. Actually, those two words are often synonymous with each other, a faithful remnant. They don't give in when the going gets tough. They don't grow weary in doing good. They have, they have a good memory of, of God's faithfulness to them. And, and they return that faithfulness back to God. One more thing about a remnant is that they do the work to keep alive or, or revive the fire inside them. Um, it, sometimes it's just embers right? Sometimes it's just embers. But, you know, one of, the, one of the first songs of the modern worship movement was by Brian Dirksen, good Canadian, and it went like this. Don't let my love grow cold. I'm calling out, light the fire again. Don't let my vision die. I'm calling out, light the fire again. You know, a remnant will continue to fuel their fire, even, even if it means burning everything they have of sentimental value to keep that fire going. What do I mean by that? Think of it this way. If a person is lost in the wilderness and all they have on them is a few personal items, a wallet full of money, uh, a picture of their family, uh, uh, personal letters, maybe even a famous autograph from somebody that, that they cherish, but wouldn't they be best served to burn those things, whatever it takes to, to keep the fire going for, for warmth, for food, for light, whatever it takes. And the same goes for our fire for God. Anything and everything in order to keep that fire lit. Here's a, here's a reality. The remnant, by definition, is a minority. It is small. And here's an unpopular opinion in church ministry, but here it is. Sometimes, sometimes, things that decrease or shrink are getting healthier. As we are growing as a church, I want you to know I will choose health over growth any day of the week. Okay, I'm not saying the two are necessarily mutually exclusive. Health numerical growth. I'm saying if given the choice, I choose health. I choose remnant. So, 
So with that in mind, here's where I, I kind of see us going this year. I'd like to begin next week by studying the amazing life of a man named Daniel, who lived a, a godly life with a, a, a small community of other God followers as exiles. Exiles, a, a minority culture living in the majority godless culture of Babylon. Folks, I don't think it's a stretch to say that we are living in a modern Babylon of our own. We are living as versions of exiles. And I'd love it if, if the small groups that exist would join in uh, discussing this together as a whole church for six weeks. We'll provide them with the curriculum and the talking points. And following that series, I'd like to delve into what other religions and cults believe and how Jesus presents a, a very distinct alternative to those ideologies. Listen, we love our Muslim brothers and sisters. We love our Mormon and Jehovah Witness neighbors. They are not the enemy. But hear me on this. We do not worship the same God. And many of us cannot distinguish between, well, the difference between those beliefs and ours. Or even worse, some suspect that all paths, all faiths, faiths lead to the same God. They do not. And finally, we'll end uh, 2023 with a countercultural Christmas, how we can celebrate, uh, gift give, worship, gather, in a, in a way that more closely resembles the, the sanctity, the meaning of this beautiful season. And on top of that, we want to have strong marriages, countercultural marriages that actually are a picture, a witness of the gift that marriage can be, not only to the family, but to the, to the world. And so we're offering for free this seven-week marriage course. Also because we believe the best way to become a remnant a healthy church is to practice the ways of Jesus. We are running again um, our discipleship pathway called Abide. This is a 12-week short-term intensive group. A remnant is a people of prayer. That's why we are going to invest in corporate prayer, like uh, an upcoming Sunday night prayer summit. And, and because implied in the idea of remnant is the idea of a supportive, faithful accountable community, we'll be offering more opportunities to join small groups because that's where people really grow. And so I'll, I'll close with this. It, uh, Philip Yancey is an author you may have heard of, and he wrote this book, What Good Is God? And he tells this true story. Um, in 2004, there was uh, a Ukrainian election in which there, there was a reformer, uh, Viktor Yukashenko, and he challenged the authoritarian party, and he nearly died for it. He got poisoned. That's a before and after. Uh, the poison um, left him disfigured and, and nearly dead. Well, on election day, uh, the exit polls showed that Yushchenko was well in a comfortable lead, but it was a totally fixed and fraudulent election. And the government just outright... Um, reverse the results, uh, just, just stole the election. So that evening on the state-run TV, you know, the government 
TV. Uh, it was reported, ladies and gentlemen, we announced that the challenger, Viktor Yukashenko, has been decisively defeated. But here's what the government authorities hadn't taken into account. On Ukrainian television, there was always a little screen on the bottom corner, somebody translating in sign language. And this brave woman, Nachia uh, Dimitrik, raised by deaf-mute parents, gave a very different message than what was being spoken. She said, I shouldn't even do it because that's offensive, but, I, but she said, I am addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. Don't believe what they are saying. They are lying. And I am ashamed to translate these lies. Yushchenko is our president. Now, no one in the studio understood this radical message that was going out on the airways. But inspired by that courageous translator, deaf people led what would come to be known as the Orange Revolution in Ukraine. And people text messaged and, and they called their friends and, and, and got the word out about this fraudulent election. And soon, journalists took courage and refused to broadcast the party line. And over the next few weeks, um, people flooded the streets in the capital city of Kiev and, and they demanded new elections. And the government finally buckled under that pressure, consented to new elections. And this time, Yukashenko emerged as the undisputed winner. What's my point? The remnant, the faithful minority church is like in the corner of the big screen, okay? The big screen is the message of the majority, the message of power and commerce and beauty and influence. And we glorify those elite. We honor the winners, not the losers. And then, like the little sign language translator in the lower right corner, um, along comes a person named Jesus who says, in effect, don't believe the big screen. They're lying. It's the poor who are blessed. It's the mourners who are blessed. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the persecuted. And what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? You serve a different king and a different kingdom. You are a remnant don't forget who you are and whose you are. Jesus, may we be your faithful remnant. It's so much more fun sometimes to be part of the majority and all the rights and privileges and things that come with it. But God, it seems we are increasingly part of a remnant. May we be a faithful remnant, I pray.